Hi everyone, my name is Hermione Hodson. Welcome to the first episode of the Hermione's Hodcast. Today, my husband Joshua Hodson will be interviewing me. Hello there, everyone. Today, we're going to talk about uh, my history of depression and how I recovered from it, which is quite a um, an interesting journey. I always find it fascinating and there's always new little bits of information I can get out of it and just as you know someone who's not necessarily gone through the same levels of depression myself having this deep internal insight is a huge huge um, advantage to me just as a husband so I'm really looking forward to it to begin with do you want to tell me about when you first started going into depression What was that like? My depression started um, around the age of eight. And um, I one day thought to myself, where, uh, well, there's no real point in um, talking to other people and, or saying things because I felt I would be wrong anyway. And that's, that was sort of the starting point. And after that, I became more and more isolated, um, partly uh, on my own because I wanted to isolate myself from other people, but I was also left alone by others. Uh, so there was a two-way street there. And, and, that, and slowly it was like the curtains fell down on me and things got darker and darker. And I, my, self, my self-esteem got lower and lower. So... Do you have a good analogy of what depression's like? Like, what's it like being depressed? I, I would say it's like someone pulls down the curtain on your life. So you see things, but they're often in black or white, and they're much darker than than other people see things. So, so it means you're you're still uh, noticing things around you, but you see them in a different shade, a much darker shade. Uh, through a different f- different type of filter, different glasses. So uh, do you have a good analogy of what depression's like? I would say it's like someone pulls down the curtain on your life. So you see things, but they're often in black or white and they're much darker than, than other people see things. You're still uh, noticing things around you, but you see them in a different shade, a much darker shade. Uh, through a different f- different type of filter, different glasses. And at that time, what did you believe about yourself? I I believed that I was um, basically worthless. I, I remember lying in bed um, later on repeating to myself, I'm worthless, I'm worthless. And at that point in your life, was there anything that brought you joy, happiness, anything like that? Yeah, I, I remember uh, I really enjoyed any social gatherings so birthdays christmas uh, spending time with my grandfather when my parents had friends over for dinner i really enjoyed that and how long did this last for my depression lasted from the age of eight till about the age of 18 it's a long time uh, however i also believe that that made me the person i am today and i did spend a lot of time alone in school, walk, walking around the schoolyard in, in circles on my own and did spend a lot, lot of time thinking. However, that also made me comfortable being on my own and enjoying my own company. And it also gave me a lot of time for thought, which I think has contributed to where I am today, where 
I do a lot of blogging. I do a lot of social media and I need time to think about things and so I can explain my life lessons to other people. Tell me about when things started to turn around. The first time things started to turn around was when I was uh, around 15 and I had an epiphany. I was watching the Oprah Winfrey show at home, a show that I really liked. Love (laughs) Oprah. And uh, someone on that show said, you attract behavior from people based on past people's behavior. And that was a big wake up call for me because I suddenly realized that the way that boys treated me in school resemble other people's behavior in my life. Um, in terms of being called names, being teased, the, uh, regarding girls, uh, I also realized that how girls treated me in school was very much influenced by how I was treated by other women. That included feeling like the black sheep, feeling not, like I wasn't part of the group and uh, I was, I felt looked down upon. So that was a big wake up call for me. I realized that society wasn't a dangerous zone. It was actually a safe zone and that I had to change the environment around me, close to me, in order to change my life. That's when I decided I wanted to leave Stockholm to move abroad. And you were how old at this point? I was 15. 15 and you decided you wanted to leave? Yes, yeah. Uh, I decided to to just wait a couple of years because I was still quite young and wait till I turn 18. Uh, the opportunity came sooner than, sooner than that, because when I was 17, I was selected uh, as an exchange student at my college in Stockholm to spend a year abroad in Madrid. I had never been to Madrid before, or Spain at all. I didn't speak a word of Spanish, and some people might look at it as, as heroic or uh, as something very a brave thing to do but for me I had nothing to lose for me it was something I had to do and I was I was excited about it so tell me what was it like day one walking off the plane you get that Madrid dry heat hit your face what did that feel like yes I personally I, I loved it because I was I was finally on my own I was in a new environment uh, I had the weather was different and the sun really helped me have a positive mindset in the beginning. Of course, I was still dealing with depression, but I, I, w- I wasn't aware of it at the time. And I thought, I thought things would get better just by changing the environment, but I needed more than that. What was that year like? The first year was all right in the beginning. I did uh, socialize with people. I did go out on weekends. And then slowly I started having uh, breakdowns again. I started isolating myself. I stopped going out, stopped going to parties. I spent most of the time on my room um, with the host family I live with. And so I didn't, I started seeing them less and less. I slept quite a lot. My hygiene got worse. So there were times where I would skip showers. So I would say the first couple of months we were right, but then slowly I fell back in old patterns again. Was there a moment, a defining turnaround, things have to change moment that happened? Yes, absolutely. At the end of the year, after having breakdowns and so on, um, some girls in my class asked me to meet up at a cafe with them. And they sat me down and they explained to me to my face what was going on, that because of my poor hygiene, uh, 
teachers were reluctant to approach me in class to help me, that people were worried about me and uh, that I needed to do something about it, basically. So from that moment on, I realized that um, I can't trust my own thoughts, that I need help. Well, some people might think that, well, you shouldn't tell the truth straight to someone's face because they're depressed. It might make it worse. For me, it was actually a good thing and I needed to hear it. I wasn't aware of things going on around me because I was so focused on myself and healing myself. So uh, it was really good for me to uh, have an eye opener like that. So a big slap in the face. Yes, uh, I call it a slap in the face moment. Big wake up call. What's that like sitting there with the realisation that you no longer can believe what your brain is thinking? You are now in undiscovered country, as Shakespeare would describe it. It's scary because um, you have thoughts just like you have now, but you, you, you don't know if they're, if they're false, if they're giving you false information or if it's something you should believe in. So you might say something to me, do something, and I interpret it a certain way, but then I can't trust that interpretation. I'm safer going with, with what other people tell me than I am with what my own voice tells me. And that's quite scary um, to having to... to um, to put your trust in other people like that and how they interpret reality. So you get this slap in the face. What happens next? The school fortunately agreed to pay for my first two months of therapy. And it was thanks to the principal there. And I, I'm still grateful to him to this day. Uh, at first I was a bit reluctant because as as many people with depression are, I was still a bit in denial. I thought, well, therapy is for other people. Uh, but I finally agreed to do it. Me and my therapist, who was also from Sweden, we clicked from the first moment. She was really good. And uh, I kept seeing her for the next seven years. Seven years. Wow. And the school paid for the first few months. And then you remained? Or what happened next? Well, I had one year left at college in Sweden, so I had to go back, which is quite scary. And to to promise myself to come back, to not give up, I actually decided to have a nipple piercing. <laughs> um, it was, and I didn't tell anyone about it. And it was a way for me to remind myself that this is important. You need to come back here, no matter what anybody says. You go. You're back in Sweden for a year. And you then head back to Madrid? Yes, I, I did all sorts of jobs. I handed out newspapers in the morning. I worked in Ikea. I eventually started working as an English teacher. Wait, wait, wait. Hold the presses. A Swedish person worked in Ikea? That's... Uh... <laughs> Isn't that like a national pastime? To say the least, there were a few times when I was asked to explain the names of the products and I probably fitted a stereotype because I, I had blonde hair at the time. And... <laughs> but over that year, you carried on seeing the therapist. What what sort of things did she do with you? She helped me see patterns in my past and how things um, linked together, how they were connected, that my depression didn't show up out of nowhere, that there were reasons behind it. And she also taught me... Um, 
to see myself in a new way, discover sides of me I didn't even know, knew I had. She also taught me that it was okay to show feelings, which something that I've been a bit fearful of before that, to show my opinions, my feelings about things. And she also taught me how to be more genuine with people in general and how to trust other people. So this then went on for how long? How long were you uh, doing that in Madrid? All in all, I spent five years there. You get to the end of this period in Spain and you stop seeing that your therapist before or after you moved to England? Uh, before I moved to England. And so can you talk me through that decision then and there? Because you've had this wonderful person, this huge safety net that's been looking after you all this time and you decide now I'm okay, now I don't need this. What? How did you get to that place and what was being in that place like? Well, and I got to that point because I felt like I could handle things on my own, that I could interact with people uh, without feeling fear. Uh, I could. I was socializing with others. Um, I was working, so I was having pretty much a normal life. I I wanted to do a master, so I found a master's program in Luton at the University of Bedfordshire. So I actually came straight from Madrid to Luton via EasyJet. After doing your two master's degrees, you make the decision to stay in Luton and to completely not use either of your degrees and pursue a career in public speaking and also in personal coaching. It was only when I came out of the depression closet, when I started talking about depression, that um, I realized that the reason that I went through those all those hard years was to help others. And um, I, I still listen to Oprah Winfrey. I remember her talking about, the, you know, when you focus on how to serve, it changes everything. So when I, when I started thinking about that and how can I serve others, that changed my whole perspective. And I don't think anything happens in vain. So I want to use my experience to inspire others to show them that you can recover you can you can have a happy joyful life it is possible excellent what what for you are like the the top five most important things you've learned through this whole process i would say the first thing that i've learned is to never give in to never give in on the illness now, I, I, I call it mental illness. Some people prefer not to say that. Um, they, they think it's, it has a negative sound. But for me, uh, defining it as an illness means it's not part of me. It's something that I can recover from and it doesn't define me. Um, mental health is not as visible as physical injuries, for example. It's a, it's a really a two-edged sword because on one hand, it's... Uh, it, it's um, it's it, it can lead to it being underestimated because it's in the head, um, and it it doesn't get the same attention or treatment as, for example, a physical injury. But it also makes people dealing sometimes with mental health issues feel like they can hide it better. That because because I feel a certain way, 
uh, because it's in my head, I, I people won't notice as long as I pretend that things are okay. So it's really a two-edged sword. And I, as an example, I, I broke my kneecap about a year ago and people just rushed to my attention, uh, rushed to help me from from the first moment onwards and I got help instantly I got I was offered three seats on the flight back to England um I I received medical care the following day at the clinic um they they scanned my knee they they did all sorts of things they gave me crutches everything and, and people could tell me how long it would take to recover uh I could touch it I could see it you know, and there was no way I can hide. I could hide it. I mean, I, I could. I couldn't even walk. So it was. I would definitely not have been able to go on like normal. Um, so the difference there to, for example, going through depression is is uh, massive. The people I know who have gone through mental health issues come out on the other side, whether it's depression, anxiety, or something else. The people who come out of that and and start living normal lives. They um, they are the, the st- strongest people I know, the most mature people I know, because there's nothing like fighting a battle in your head versus, you know, um, yeah, having an injury, waiting for it to heal. It's complete. It's very different, completely different. And it, it that uh, mental health treatment might take years, years of battling thoughts that you don't know where they come from, if they're true or not. So I, I really respect and admire people who've gone through it. And it is possible. If there's someone right now listening to this, feeling in the same position or even a different position, but feeling just as bad, what would be the one piece of advice you would give them? What should they do tomorrow morning? Um, get in contact with your GP. Um, speak to them. If you have someone around you who is uh, depressed, to just be the same to them. Don't treat them differently. Um, and if you're going to talk about someone going for depression, make sure that it's focused on what can I do to support rather than just talking about someone. Because um, that's still one of the things that I feel a bit uneasy about looking back is that I don't know how much was talked about me or what people said about me but I could feel there was definitely something going on so so make sure that you're you're honest and that you, you're them you're yourself with them thank you for sharing your story because it's it's really inspirational and I hope that if anyone's listening out there I hope it's ringing some bells that was the first episode of Hermione's podcast and interviewing me was my husband, Joshua Hudson. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope it gave you some food for thought. Look forward to speaking to you next time.